Right now, it's Perry and Shauna Replay from 89.3 Moody Radio. Check this out. Your every longing, your every desire, your every passion, your every hunger and thirst is really a hunger and thirst for God. It's the same for me. In John 4, 14, Jesus says, The water I give will be an artesian spring within, gushing fountains of endless life. That's from the message. Author John Eldridge says in Knowing the Heart of God, maybe this is a surprise to you. Christianity is not an invitation to become a moral person. It's not a program for getting us in line or for reforming society. At its core, Christianity begins with an invitation to desire. Look at the way Jesus relates with people. There's the Samaritan woman Jesus meets at the well. She arrives alone in the heat of the day to draw water, and they both know why. By coming when the sun is high, she's less likely to run into anyone. Doesn't want to run into anyone. Her sexual lifestyle has earned her a reputation. In Jesus' day, in that honor-shame culture, having one partner after another was the unforgivable sin. She's on her sixth lover, and so she'd rather bear the scorching rays of the sun than face the searing words of the decent women of the town who come at evening to draw water. She succeeds in avoiding the women, she succeeds in avoiding the women, but runs into God instead. Mm-hmm. What does Jesus choose to talk with her about? Her immorality? No, he speaks to her about her thirst. If you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you would be asking me for a drink, and I would give you fresh, living water. It's remarkable. He doesn't give a little sermon about purity. He doesn't even mention it, except to say that he knows what her life has been like. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now isn't even your husband. In fact, he sort of makes it an affirmation that that she, you know, admits that she's not married. You know, you're right in saying you're not married. Mm-hmm. You didn't say the rest, but I'm not going to call you out on that. I'm just going to say, hey, good job. You're saying you're not married. So in other words, now that we both know what your life is about, let's talk about your heart's real thirst. Let's talk about why you've had six lovers since the life you've chosen obviously isn't working. Mm-hmm. So, You know what? I This is... This is such a beautiful example for us when we encounter other people that today in our culture, maybe in your in your church culture, um, you tend to kind of bristle against their lifestyle. You know what I mean? That we have a um, find ourselves uncomfortable in their presence. Jesus was with someone just like that, and his response was not to be in denial about her life. I mean, they were honest about her life, but man, was he loving her. Yeah. And I think the call is the same for us to love. Yeah. Yeah. And what Jesus saw in her, in all of her, you know, going after the desires of her heart to be loved. I'm sure that she just wanted to be loved. That was part of it. She had sexual passions and desires, but Jesus saw right through that to what she really was thirsty Mm -hmm. for. And that was him. And if we could see right through it Mm -hmm. for what people are really thirsty for and offer them a taste of that kind of love, I think that could be life-changing. 
It, it would be. It will be life-changing. Freud believed that our spiritual longings are just frustrated sexual desires. He had it completely opposite. Our sexual desires and all other desires are frustrated spiritual longings. Mm-hmm. I believe it. We long, we thirst, we have desires, we have passions, fantasies, if you will. And it's really for God to be in relationship with God because we were made for him. Mm-hmm. We are, we were created thirsty. Desires are good. And we settle for such less. I settle for such less. Yeah. And it's, it's easy for me to see this for myself, that this is a reality. Yeah. That I settle for less that I went to see us Lewis quote about settling for mud pies when we could be experiencing a holiday at the sea. Yeah. Isn't that yeah. C.S. Lewis? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we settle for making mud pies in an alley instead of, you know, enjoying a vacation by the sea. We do that, and it's easy for me to see that for myself, but but to spin that thing and to see that everybody else also has hungers and desires and thirsts, yep. and it's ultimately God. Yep. So when you when you run into somebody and they're difficult, like they're they're crabby, they're demanding, they're, you know, they just rub you wrong inside. They are longing yep. for God. Yep. They're longing to be loved. And so instead of, you know, bristling up against it, yeah, I just, I feel challenged by what you're sharing this morning, Perry, just to transfer that knowledge and the understanding for myself of my own longings and my own desires to the people around me. And I feel challenged to, instead of personally reacting and being offended Mm -hmm. to see it for what it is and to respond with love. Yeah. Every single person we rub shoulders with today is feeding on something is filling up with something. It might be Jesus. That's what we need to fill up on. But those people that are filling up on that other stuff, what I hear you saying is let's not bring the shade. Let's not bring the Mm -hmm. condemnation. Let's realize that they're filling up on something that's a ripoff. It's a ripoff when they can have Jesus. And, you know, Jesus says here in this passage, he says, if you knew, yeah, if you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you would be asking me for a drink and I would give you fresh living water. What might that look like to to speak to someone today? Listen to this. This is Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Isn't that awesome? Yep. I mean, that is a great verse. That is like plaque worthy. Somebody needs to put that on some shiplap. That'll sell right there. I'm sure it's a plaque. I'm (laughs) I'm sure sure, of it. I'm sure it is too. I think, you know, we hear that verse, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And we immediately go to the second half of that verse. What? God will give me what I want? Let's go. You were so prone to self-worship that that's what we hone in on. And when I'm reading scripture, I'm always asking myself the, the question, you know, this comes from Discovery Bible Studies, but, you know, what does it say about God? What does it say about me? Is there a command to obey? Is there a promise to grab, grab hold of? And yes, there's this beautiful promise. He will give you the desires of your heart. I mean, that's that's gold right there. But there is also a command if you keep looking, and it's delight yourself in the Lord. Yeah. So what does that mean, to delight yourself in the Lord? 
It's kind of like that hunger, every hunger, every thirst, every passion, every desire, every craving within me is really pointing me to God. So we already have this hunger. We just look for other things to fill it. Right. We delight ourselves in shopping. We delight ourselves in attention. We delight ourselves in likes. We dull our attention. We dull our desire for for the Lord. That's it right there. Yes. No, we. Come on. I'm in on that too. (laughs) Like we definitely dull our desire for the Lord by settling for lesser things. And so, all right. So then what what does it mean to delight ourselves in the Lord? Well, I'm going to take a crack at it. All right. I think it means to just look at God. You know, you look intently into the eyes of the one who existed before time, who reigns supreme over every power and authority that ever was or ever will be, the one who created the heavens and the earth, who placed every star in the sky, the one who made you and planned all your days before even one of them came to be, the one who sent his son to take the punishment that you deserve for your sin upon himself so that you could be reconciled to God through him the one who raised his son back to life, the one who at this very moment is constantly being worshiped day and night. They never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That is really good stuff. I mean, if if we could just focus on that, you could just keep reading that all morning. Right. And reminding me of that all morning. And it puts the other stuff in place, in its place, I think, you know? I mean... As we're spending time with God and we're being vulnerable with this same God that we just, you know, spoke of and all the things that he has done, when we're being loved by him and we're loving him back, here's the thing. As as we lean into looking at God for who he is every single day, just fixing our eyes on him, loving him, the stuff that we're hoping that he would give us, you know, the the desires of our heart that we first jumped to mm-hmm. when we when we read the verse and went, oh, wait a minute, if I delight myself in God, he's going to give me the desires of my heart. He's going to give me, you know, that job, that promotion, that relationship, you know, that number of kids, that fill in the blank, whatever it is for you, right? They Those desires begin to shift and change the more we fix our eyes on God, the more we look at him the more of him we want and all the draw for the other stuff just starts to become less enticing. I would say that a hundred percent of the time for human beings, our deepest longing, our deepest wish is not our deepest longing Mm -hmm. and our deepest wish. Yeah. Yesterday we had Steve Norman in here and we were talking about last time he was here in studio we had a conversation about the book Crucial Conversations, and so I'm revisiting it because of the because he brought it up that day. And he had said, you know, his greatest takeaway from that book is there's three questions uh, when you're in a, a difficult conversation or a crucial conversation to ask yourself, and it's what do you want? That's the first question. Second question, what do you really want? Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> and the third is what do you need to do right now to get what you really want? And I think that, you know, that plays into the conversation we're having about our desires, right? And it's like, what do you want? Oh, the first what you want might be, oh man, I just want more money. I just want a better income. I just want whatever. NBA, play on in the NBA, win sure. an NBA title. Right? That's it. <laughs> <laughs> we need to put Ben on mic at moments. We get to hear his giggle from time to time. Um, but yeah, so there's the initial what do I want, but then it's a, what do I really want? I mean, what's behind that, you know? And... The answer to that is found in Jesus. A.W. Tozer said, we pursue God because, 
and only because he has first put an urge within us that spurs us to the pursuit. And when the Holy Spirit shows us God as he is, Mm -hmm. we admire him to the point of wonder and delight. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. As you delight in him, the desire of your heart becomes him. Mm -hmm. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you more of himself, which is our greatest longing and our deepest need. The one thing you absolutely need is the one thing that you can never lose, God himself. God the Father's question to you and me all life long has been, do you believe that I love you? Of course God loves me. God so loved the world. But in those honest moments by yourself, when you remember the skeletons in your closet, your worst moments of failure, do you still believe that he loves you? While the rebellious, wild living, and now ruined and shame-filled son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Luke 15, 20. Author John Eldred says, in knowing the heart of God, Jesus told the prodigal son's story to try to get into our hearts how he feels about us. Yes, the prodigal son ran off to Vegas with the family fortune, blew it all on prostitutes and high-stakes poker. Yes, we have done the same, more or less, But that's not the point of the story. It's about the father's heart. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Luke 15, 20. This is the kind of father you have. This is how he feels about you. This is the purpose for which Jesus came to make us sons and daughters of the Father. Galatians 4, 4 through 7, amazing words from the Apostle Paul. But when the time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to rescue us from the law's condemnation so that we might receive the full rights of sons and daughters. Because you are sons and daughters, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you now are no longer a slave to condemnation, but you're a son, you're a daughter. And since you're a son, a daughter, God has made you also his heir Mm -hmm. of everlasting life. Again, that's Galatians 4, 4 4-7 from God's Word. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, when you turn as the prodigal son turned for home, and you're reconciled and restored to the Father, many remarkable things take place. We can't count them all. But at the core of them is becoming Abba's beloved. Mm, Do you believe that he loves you? Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. I, we, I think it's good to be reminded of the Father's heart towards us and that it's not, I mean, that, that story so beautifully reflects that it's not about us deserving it or earning it. And in fact, it's the opposite of that. It's not even a neutral position. It's not like you have to earn it or deserve it or you have to just remain neutral. This is like blowing it big time, complete disrespect for you, your life. I just want what you have to offer me. And sometimes I can find myself in that position with God. You know, I find myself in prayer with a a big list, you know, and it's like, 
ah, it's all about what I can get and what I can attain because of my relationship with you instead of just sitting with you and enjoying your presence. But what a beautiful picture of the Father's heart towards us, even when we're only looking out for what we can gain from him, that he just loves and Mm -hmm. he loves and he embraces. And not only that, it's not like I just receive you back or, you know, I'm, you're acceptable to me or I want you. It's, it's honor, it's esteem. I mean, he put a robe on him, you know, and he put a ring on his finger and, and, and gathered other people to celebrate my son's back. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's the father's heart for us. And that's what he's done for all of us. I wonder though, if the, if the lost son ever, ever wondered, of course it's a parable. Let's, let's just imagine mm-hmm. that he had that experience, but afterwards he just wondered, does the father really love mm. me? You know, he's like, done. Like months later, yeah, yeah, years yeah. later when it's all kind of worn off, yeah. the party's all been cleaned up yeah. and life moved on. Isn't that the same for us? I, it's the same for me. You know, uh, the Lord has done amazing things for me, and yet I have doubted. Do you really love me, Lord? All that I've done, all the messes I've made, you know my heart. Do you really love me? So so when God says, do you really love me? That's a big question to answer. You know, like I said at the top, you know, of course God loves, God loves everybody. Jesus loves me, this I know. Yeah, but when we really think about who we are and we face... When we look in the mirror and we face everything that we are, can we truly say, Father, I believe that you love me? And that's hard. That can be hard. It's been hard for me. It's been a journey. But I think more than ever, after my long journey, I can say, I do believe it. And you've helped me believe it. It says, it says that God sends the spirit of his son into our hearts. That's, that's the miraculous part. Mm-hmm. He sends the spirit of his son into our hearts so that we can cry, Abba, Father. And that's what, that's what we want for you. And so, Father, for some of us, including me, it's hard to believe that you love us, Father, that we are your precious, beloved, treasured kids. And maybe it's because our dad didn't do a very good job. Maybe he did, but we just, we just doubt it because of the mess we've made of things. But, Father... We just want to claim our inheritance. And the words you spoke to Jesus are the words you speak to us because we are in Christ. This is my son. This is my daughter. I love you. And in you, I am well pleased. I came across this quote that really grabbed my attention and I couldn't just keep going. I had to stop and go like, whoa, I need to sit with that for a minute. But here, here it is. God can do more in a moment of surrender than you can accomplish in a lifetime of striving. So a moment of surrender. Have you had one of those? Have you been there? I have. <laughs> it's a moment when you, you recognize, you know what? I want God more than I want what I want. And I'm going to stop fighting you, Lord, and I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to surrender and believe that what you have for me is actually good and better than what I'm trying to do and trying to accomplish. I had a moment like this back in February. We're actually at the boot camp, and God just kind of wrecked me in a great way. 
um, boot camp, meaning the co-hosts from Moody Radio meet up in one spot and we happen to be in Florida. And just I had a moment with the Lord where I felt myself surrendering again in a fresh way. So much so that I, as I journaled, I was just weeping. And so there's tear stains all over the, the journal pages and you know it's all blurred. And then at the bottom, I dated it and I signed it. So I was like, Lord, I want today to be a turning. You know what I mean? I want it to be different from this day forward. Just that kind of surrender to God. And it reminds me of um, when I was having my first child, I wanted to know everything there was to know about labor and delivery. So I got the book, What to Expect When You're Expecting. And I read that book and I didn't just like read it. I mean, I studied it. I underlined, I bookmarked and dog-eared and, you know, wrote notes in the, on the side margin and all kinds of things. And I had a plan for labor and delivery and then contraction started and I headed to the hospital and I worked my plan. And my plan was to walk the halls and my plan was to stay upright and do all the things that the book had told me to do. But I was I was striving and I was working at it and I was going to muscle this thing into being. I was going to have a baby as if it was, you know, up to me and about well. It's not, by the way. It's not about well. It wasn't until I realized that all my striving was actually working against what I wanted to happen. I wanted to have a baby. And I thought I needed to do all of these things to have a baby. What I really needed to do was stop working so hard and stop striving and just pay attention to what was already happening. Pay attention to what my body was already doing. Surrender all the work. And you know what? Once I did and I let go of what I thought ought to happen, we had a baby. (laughs) And I think this happens spiritually too. We just, it's good intentions that make us want to, ah, you know, I got to muscle this into being and I got to strive. And, and sometimes, you know, it comes from just a really good place. Like we want to be loved. We want to not sin against God and not hurt his heart. And so we try and we strive. We want to quit smoking and we want to stop complaining and we want to, you know, we're not going to sin anymore. And, And we want to honor God, but it just feels sometimes when it's all out of our own effort, like we're just banging our head up against a wall and it's not happening. We've got nothing to show for it. Here's how I look at it. It's God has a blueprint. He has the blueprint for my life. Mm -hmm. Okay, now I can make suggestions to him what that blueprint ought to look like. You know, God, here's a good idea. I want to inform you, God, how the blueprint should look like and how the blueprint should be implemented. Yeah. But he's got the blueprint and it's his plan. It's not my plan. And he just wants me to surrender to the next step that I need to take to implement the fulfillment of that blueprint. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. It made me think of Proverbs 16. I think it's verse one. We make our plans, but God has the last word. Yeah. That's the good news translation of it. But yeah, we make our plans, but he's got the big plan. Our plan's like little plan. He's got like big plan. Yeah. Yeah. And so sometimes we want to wrestle that blueprint out of his hand mm-hmm. rather than just say, Lord, you know it's best and just give me light for the next step. But instead, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to make it happen. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to make it happen. And surrender is the, is the only way to live into what, God's destiny for our lives is to surrender to his plan. 
Craig Rochelle tweeted, God can do more through your surrender than you can do with your control. Another way, you know, another quote here is, you don't always have the power to control, but you always have the power to surrender. And maybe you've got something in your life right now that, ah, man, you are striving. You have been trying so hard to do it on your own. And you just feel, you feel exhausted and you feel defeated and, and feel like it's just, you're never going to get there. And I just wonder what it would look like today to just surrender that to God, to pay attention to what he's already doing and decide to join him. I don't know if you've ever had this thought where you're just reflecting on your life and, you know, your performance and you just see all the junk in yourself and you think, God, what do you see in me? And then you think, God, if, if this is what you see in me, I can't imagine how anybody would see you in me. I don't know if you've mm. ever felt like that before, yeah. but John Reddick has, has such a great insight on this. He's a singer, songwriter, and worship leader, and he's talking about grass, and it connects with this. This last year, and this is, <laughs> this is a little funny because it's not that big of a deal, <laughs> but this last year I was super irritated because I was trying to get my grass to be green. It was a thing I was like, man, I just moved in this neighborhood and I'm like, I get it. I know the whole grass is greener thing, but I literally wanted my grass to be green and I knew that I'd be in and out of town. And so I was like, I'm going to hire somebody to do it and all this different stuff. <laughs> and so I hired this person to do it. And, and I realized that I was kind of getting a little frustrated because it wasn't I would see brown splotches here and brown splotches there. You know, at first it was green, and then I just started, as the, as the sun started coming out, I would see these splotches. And I remember kind of being like, this is this is not cool. And it really kind of hit me in a, lot, in a hard way, even though it's just grass. But for me, it was hard in that moment because, to be honest, I I do have these battles with shame, and so I have to find the healthy side of shame and not let the unhealthy side of shame kind of take me down and kind of push me into a prideful place and all these different things. And so for me, in that moment, if my grass wasn't green enough, then I was the thing I was playing in my mind was that, man, it's going to say something about me and they're going to think I'm this or that. So it messed with me. It's just grass, but it, it messed with me. And I remember coming outside one day and right, I mean, literally right as I was, I might have even been on the phone <laughs> being like, I can't believe this, this blah, 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 blah. And right as I walked outside, my neighbor was in, a, they were in a huddle with each other and they said, we were just talking about how amazing your grass is. It's, and it wasn't one of those like, we're going to tell you this like passive aggressive thing so you can get it together. It was, it was like they were genuine about it. And, and I was thinking to myself, oh, and I remember sometime that day I had uh, backing into my driveway in order to back in, you, you kind of have to pull up, you know, and you get to look over and see the grass. And for the first time, I noticed that it really did look green from the street. And that it kind of messed with me. I was like, I can't see what I had been seeing the entire time. And I remember um, just being kind of flabbergasted. And as I studied 
about, you know, one one reason is because, you know, I'm standing right over it. But then I started realizing that light has a lot to do with how people see your grass being greener than you do when you're standing right over it. And it's funny because the blade itself, the grass blade itself, it it absorbs so when the sun is coming down, it absorbs all the light except for the green. That is what it reflects. And it's funny that in life, a lot of times we see all these splotches in our lives. We see all these potholes and all these different things that we think everybody else is looking at. But when God is using our gifts and God is using us, God is letting his light shine down on us. And what reflects out to the others is really us pointing up to him is really the things that he wants to give out to others whether it's hope or whatever the message is in that moment but like so for myself I had to realize man there are a lot of places in my life that I wish were green but that's not the way life is life is life has made it where we all have these splotches (laughs) but our king has made it where his light is not only shining down on us and we're absorbing all these other things but it's also reflecting this beautiful color people see green as growth right he's reflecting this beautiful color of growth out into the world and and so as he's shining down on us we are absorbing his goodness and we are able to reflect the beauty of our king and the rest of the world gets to see the beauty and at the end of the day it's not about the spots at all it's all about what people are seeing that God can do in each of us Singer, songwriter, worship leader, John Reddick. First of all, applause to John for taking a blade of grass and making a spiritual point about it. (laughs) I never could have done that. There was some research done there. That's amazing. He studied that. But yeah, just, you know, the way we see ourselves is not the way God sees us and is often not the way others see us. Mm -hmm. You know, we do have flaws. I do have incredible flaws in my life and junk in my heart still and God's working through that but somehow Jesus lets his light reflect off me even though I'm a very imperfect person that's what I'm taking away from this yeah and both can be true at the same time which is kind of crazy you know what I mean because when other people see God reflected in us all glory to God right for that that's awesome but but we're thinking we're standing there looking over our grass thinking yeah, that ain't right. That's not, you know, what you're saying or what you're seeing or what's being reflected is not accurate to my experience because I get so frustrated with myself, mm-hmm. my stuff, you know, because I know my stuff. Right. And I think, man, if you knew my stuff, you wouldn't say that. But both can be true at the same time that we're we're working it out. Mm-hmm. We're walking it out and reflecting Jesus. Yeah. It just reminds me of Paul's words. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Mm -hmm. You know, we're just jars of clay. We have these treasures of the Holy Spirit in us, shining out of us in jars of clay, infallible, flawed, messy, simple jars jars of clay. Not jaws of clay. (laughs) Jars of clay. To show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us.
Thanks so much for listening. Questions or comments? Text us at 800-968-8930. That's 800-968-8930. 